Good morning. Great to see you all again. If you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do. Go ahead and make your way to John chapter 13. Continuing through our series, Believe and Live through the Gospel of John. It'll take us through the end of this year. And I just say, if you are a guest here with us, we're grateful to have you here. And if you're tuning online for the first time, uh, thank you for watching. We hope to see you face to face in the next couple of weeks, get to meet your name, uh, get to meet you, get to learn your name, right? And uh, I just say, if you are a guest here with us, just encourage you to stick six with us. We say that a lot around here. Stick six weeks so you can get to know us as a church, the mission and the vision that God has called us to, but at the same time, we can get to know you. And, uh, and so you can hear about us. So just really encourage you to stick six weeks with us. Uh, John chapter 13 is where we're at this morning. Now this is a really interesting chapter. Uh, Jesus is nearing uh, the end of his life, and he knows this is the end of his life. He said it multiple times. And as I'm reading and I'm preparing this this week, um, my daughter, who's 10 years old, uh, comes downstairs, and she's got this little journal. It's got a fox on the front. And uh, she opens up her journal, and she's like, hey, Dad, look at this. And if you can't read that because it's too small writing or it's blurry, uh, this is her bucket list, okay? My 10-year-old daughter is putting together a bucket list, which is a little disturbing to me, to be honest with you. I'm like, a bucket list at 10 years old? But, but the good news is she's already checked off two boxes of the things on her bucket list. Uh, she wanted to adopt a manatee. She's able to do that. Uh, and then C12 puppies. Uh, she was able to check that off. But... Uh, some of the other things that, that are up there, she wants to go to Hawaii, she wants to go to Bahamas. Um, she's got all these different things that she has on her, her bucket list. And it's funny because I'm looking at this, my 10-year-old daughter's written her bucket list. Um, I have never written a bucket list before. Maybe you have, um, but I've never put together like, hey, here's things that I'd, that I'd love to do. Uh, maybe you have, but the question I would have for you today is, if you have done a bucket list, what's on your bucket list? What are the things that you look at? Like, these are the things I want to do before I die. Um, and if you haven't, right now, uh, if you could just pause and just think, and, man, what would be on that, that list? Like, what would I add? Or what would I do? What's interesting, even for me, is I kind of put that list together. Man, it's a lot about me, right? Um, some of you might look at your bucket list and say, there are places I want to go. Like, I really want to travel to this place and have this experience at this location. Or some crazy people in the room, you might say, well, I want to skydive. Like, that's on my bucket list. Like, it's going to make that bucket tip a whole lot sooner if you're trying to skydive, okay? Um, and some of you are thinking, no, I want to do NASCAR. Like, I want to go up there and do the petty driving experience and get to ride around in a car at 200 miles an hour. Like, I don't know what's on your, your list that you have there, but... What I found for me, and maybe for you, is that a lot of these things are just really about me, right? These are things that I want to do before I die. Now, I mention that today because there's something extremely beautiful about this moment in the Gospel of John. Jesus knows that his time is at hand. He said it before, he's about to say it again. Just a few more days, and he will go to the cross to die on that cross for our sins. And what's fascinating about this is if Jesus was going to write his bucket list down, it would be short and simple, and it wouldn't be self-centered. He wants to glorify God the Father by serving us. That's Jesus' bucket list. This is the last week of his life. He knows it. What he wants to do is he wants to spend the last hours 
pouring out his life, glorifying God the Father by serving us. So as we look at this passage today, I want us to look at how Jesus serves his disciples and ultimately how he serves us. So we'll start in verse 1 of John 13, and it says this. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, this is the the supper that we call the Last Supper, During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from the Father, and he was going back to the Father, rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking up a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, I am doing. You do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Now, let me pause here for a second. This is free for you. This isn't what it's all about today. But when Jesus looks at you and tells you you don't understand something... (laughs) It's great to just be quiet, right? It's great to just be quiet in that moment when it's like Jesus, Jesus says, you just don't understand this. But not Peter. <laughs> Peter says, well, I don't understand this, so I, I, I got to speak about it. I got to talk about it. So verse 8, Peter said to him, after Jesus said, you just don't get this. You don't understand, but you will understand later. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus at this point could have just said, I told you you wouldn't understand. I told you. So you just kept your mouth shut. But he doesn't. He says something a little bit kinder, but in the same vein. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and resumed his place. And he said to him, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it takes place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. 
One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter mentioned to him, motioned to him, hey, ask Jesus of whom he's speaking. So the disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when, he, when I've dipped it. So he had dipped the morsel and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after taking the morsel, Satan entered him and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, go and buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and ask that you would give us clarity to your word, that you would move uh, this passage from black and white into vivid color in our mind and in our soul. Pray that you would give us the gift of belief today. You give this, uh, us the gift of understanding in your word. And I also pray that you give us the gift of courage to put your word into practice in our life. Reorient our heart to serve as you have served us. And speak to us today, I pray. I invite you to pray that God would speak to you. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, would you ask that God would speak to you through his word today? Pray and ask him now. Lord Jesus, we ask that your word would be a lamp into our feet and a light to our path, but also that it would be um, that warm light from a fire that would thaw a hard heart or a calloused heart so that we would live in hope and trusting in you and believing in you. May you do that in our hearts today, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, this passage shows us who Christ is. Shows us who Christ is, but it also shows us how he served. And so what I want to do with, with the time that we have today is to, to wed those two things together. I want us to look at Christ and all of his greatness and majesty, but look at how he humbled himself and served. And so first I want us to see that Jesus served in spite of who he is. Jesus served in spite of who he is. Now, these first three verses, you learn a lot about Jesus. If you hadn't been here or you don't know the Gospel of John and you're diving in today, you learn a lot about Jesus really quick. First, in verse 3, it tells us that all things were given into his hands. All things. That means all authority and all power, that he is almighty. Now, it's a little redundant that, that John has to say this in this passage, because if you've read the Gospel of John or you even know a little bit about Jesus it is shown time and time again that all things are in his hands. Creation is in his hand. Jesus turns water into wine, right? It's a miracle that Jesus does. There's a storm that's raging over the sea, and Jesus speaks a word and calms the storm. All things are in his hand. Creation are, is in the hand of Christ. But also this broken world. He, he's leans into a broken world, and he heals a, a son of a man. And this son has a terminal illness. 
So the man comes and he asks Jesus, would you heal my son? He's at the point of death and Jesus heals his son. It's the power that Christ has. He looks at a paraplegic man and he heals this man that he would walk again. Jesus looks at at a man who is dead and in the grave and he speaks to him and heals him from death. Jesus has all, all authority is in his hand. This is the God in whom we serve, the omnipotent God, the all-powerful one. And it says in here that God the Father has given all things in his hand. But we also know that he is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Several times in this passage, it uses the words that Jesus knew or he knew. It starts in verse 1. He knew his hour had come. He knew that he's about to die. He knew he was about to go to the cross. And this is the purpose of Christ. He knew his purpose. This is his purpose. This is why he came to give his life. And he knows it. He also knows that he has power. It says he, he knows that all things are given into his hands. He knows that. He also knows his identity. He knows his position. He says, I've come from the Father and I'm going to the Father again. Jesus knows all things. And then you get to verse 11 and he knows he's going to be betrayed and even knows who he's going to be betrayed by. Jesus knows all these things. He's all powerful and omniscient. And in this moment, what I love is the grace of God is seen. He shows us that he knows all these things. And he tells his disciples, I know I'm going to the cross. I know I'm going to be betrayed. I know where I'm going. I know who I am. But verse 19 tells us something very important. And it gets back to the heart of the gospel of John. That you and I would believe and live. Verse 19, he says, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you that all these things are going to happen. That I'm going to the cross. That I'm going to be betrayed. Why? Just so we would have this information? That we'd have this knowledge? No. So that when it does take place, verse 19 says, you may believe that I am he. See, Jesus wants us to believe. That's what the whole gospel of John's about. Believe and live. But even here, as it puts his glory on display that he's all-powerful and all-knowing, it's so that we would believe. That we would believe and live. Now the question is this. If Jesus, being all-powerful and almighty and all-knowing, why did he stoop low and wash the disciples' feet? Why did he do that? He's all-powerful. He's the most important one in this room. There's no shadow of a doubt. He's the most important one in this room. He can look at any of the disciples and be like, Andrew, wash feet. James, you, you polish them off. You, you, you clean off the feet after they've been washed. He would have all right and all authority to do that. All things were given into his hand, right? He, all things were given into his hand. He, he didn't even have to look at the disciples. He could just say, you know what? I'm going to call the angels to handle this one. Angels, come on down. Come on down and, and wash our feet. Do it. He could do it because he had all authority and all power. So the question is, Jesus, if you're almighty and, and, and you know all these things, then, then why in the world are you serving in this way? Why are you kneeling down, stooping low to to wash people's feet? Verse 1 tells us why. Because he loves us. Did you see that? The end of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them 
to the end. Literally to his final breath, he loved them. But I find it fascinating how Jesus loved them in the, this moment. If all things are given into his hand, then he could have chosen to love them in a number of different ways, right? Jesus, in this moment, could have chosen to, to love them by, by giving them one last lecture that would rival the, the Sermon on the Mount. He could have said, guys, I'm going to love you by, by lecturing you in this moment. And so take notes because this, this lecture is going to be four hours long and it's going to be fantastic. And people are going to talk about it for generations. He could have done that, but he doesn't give them a lecture in this moment. He could have said, hey guys, I really love you so much. So what I want to do is I want to give you one more miracle. So let's come outside. What I'm going to do is I'm going to rain down manna waffles from heaven, okay? Get your syrup ready. I'm going to do this miracle so you guys can enjoy some waffles right now. He could have done that, right? They might have been like, I don't even know what a waffle is. He's like, just wait. It's amazing, right? He could have done that in that moment, but that's not, that's not what he did, right? Jesus could have looked at them and given them material gifts or spiritual gifts. Jesus, in this moment, in his love, could have said, man, you know what I want to do? I want to give you the ability to serve in new ways. I want, to, I want to give you the gift to walk on water. I want to give you the gift to walk on water. And I want to give you a camel. And I want to give you a camel. Like, Jesus could have done all that in the moment. He could have gone on Oprah on him, but he didn't. That's not what he did in that moment. What Jesus did in that moment is he humbled himself. And his love led him to serve them. And to wash their feet. And I think we need a, a deeper, richer understanding of what it means to wash someone's feet. Because there's some Christians that enjoy doing this today. You know, maybe you've seen it at a wedding where the husband will wash the wife's feet and vice versa, right? But at best, that's symbolic of what Jesus did. At best. Because you know that husband and wife uh, got that pedicure the day before, Right? Feet are all cleaned up, everything's ready, and then they're down. Oh, look, it's a sweet moment. Like, it's, it's a picture moment, and there's a photographer there taking pictures. Like, you need to get in your mind, that is not what's happening in this moment. <laughs> it's not what's happening in this moment. Think about their culture and their time. They're in a hot climate culture. It is hot, which means sweat, right? You're going to sweat. Then you're walking on this dirty road that's got dust. When dust hits sweat, it turns to mud. And there's not just dust on the road. There's also dung on the road. So that's getting all over your feet as well. And so it's caked on there. This is nasty. This is not some, well, now they've had a pedicure. Now Jesus is kneeling down. He's washing their feet. No, this is a filthy moment. This is a nasty picture of cleaning feet. This is what Jesus chooses to do. This is an amazing moment. I mean, think about this for a minute. There is no other literature in Greco-Roman history nor in Jewish literature where a master gets down and washes the feet of his servants. There's certainly no other false religion out there that talks about a God that stoops low to serve his creation. But Jesus is the real and the true God. In spite of being the Lord of the universe, in spite of being all-powerful and all-knowing, he lovingly stoops to serve them, humbly serves them. This is an amazing picture of what Jesus is doing. Now, in the words that John chooses to use to describe what Jesus did and how Jesus did it, don't miss the picture of the gospel here. This is extremely important. Extremely important. 
Jesus, it says, he is sitting there, right where he should be, right, in the seat of authority. What does he do? He takes off his outer garment, his jacket, right, and he lays it down. He takes on these, this towel to servant clothes, and then he goes and he kneels and humbles himself to wash their feet. Do you see the gospel here? Do you see the picture of what Jesus has done? You see, this is the gospel, that Jesus was seated on his throne in heaven, and he sees our need, and he steps off of his throne of heaven, he takes off of his glory, and he dresses himself in the form of a servant in humanity. In living the perfect life, he, he serves us, and he doesn't just pour water into a basin, he pours his blood out on the cross to cleanse us from all of our sin. And then he ascends back to heaven after raising from the dead. And then he takes on his full glory again. And he sits down at the right hand of the Father. What Jesus is doing in this moment is a glimpse. It's a picture of what he's doing in the whole grand narrative of the gospel. And so no, I don't think it's a, an accident when verse 12 says, he puts back on his outer garments and resumes his place. That is what he has done. That is who our Savior is. As we look at this beautiful picture of the gospel, it demands a response. It demands a response. And that's why Jesus says, I've given you this example, and you also should do it in verse 15. Now, this is an amazing moment. This is a moment that reflects the gospel well. But did you notice that something's missing in this moment? Did you see it as we were reading through here? That there's something that's missing in this moment. Did you see it? Did you notice it? Jesus washes all of the disciples' feet, but there's one person's feet that didn't get washed. Jesus. Nobody washes Jesus' feet. They don't do it. Jesus looks at them in this moment. He's like, I've given you this example. Do as I have done. Why is it that the disciples could look at Jesus' amazing act of love to stoop down and to wash their filthy, dirty feet in spite of who he was, being the Son of God? They look at this moment and then they think, I, I don't, I'm not going to do anything with that, right? Why is it that they don't act on what Jesus did to them? So Jesus steps up and he says that you should do as I have done and still nobody does anything. Now let me take it to our time and our day. We might look at the disciples and say, well, why didn't any of them step up in that moment? Why is it that we can read passages like this? Why is it that we can hear of how Christ humbled himself and served us, and then we don't do anything with it? We're just as guilty as the disciples are in this moment, right? Now, I, I don't know the answer for the disciples. I don't know the, the, the reasoning why. It doesn't tell us in this moment, but just searching in my own heart and, and, and talking with you and interacting with people, I think there's several reasons why we do not stoop low to serve as Christ has served us. And I think first we tend not to love and serve others because we are operating out of hunger instead of out of love. We're operating out of hunger instead of out of love. You see, we're... We're so drained that we're continually trying to fill ourselves up with thing after thing after thing. And so we're so consumed with the hunger of our souls that we don't think of anybody else and their needs. And so we, we have this hunger deep within us. 
And I would say it's caused by our selfishness and our sin. So what Jesus does in this moment is he sets this example and he says, you know what? I, I see that your soul is hungry. And sin is what has made you hungry. So what I'm going to do, since you can't love right, I'm going to love right. Since you won't sacrifice, I'm going to sacrifice. And because Jesus has loved and sacrificed, now he says, I offer you satisfaction. I offer you a full soul. And because I have poured out my love on the cross in your place, now you can, can, can work and serve others out of this overflowing of love that I have given you. We love because Christ has first loved us. So, so many of us, we don't serve, we don't love others because we're so hungry. And we're trying to fill up our souls with sin after sin after sin. And it's leaving us empty. Only when we look to Christ and we look to his example of service and we believe in that will our souls ever be full. I think the second reason why we don't serve is because for many of us, there's an identity crisis that's within our heart. We don't know who we are, and so we spend our whole lives trying to figure out who we are. And Satan would love nothing less than for you spending your whole life thinking about you and nobody else. When God has told us who we are in his word, Jesus didn't have to have insecurities in his heart or being, being afraid if I kneel down and I serve them, they're going to think less of me. All those insecurities and identity questions, Jesus didn't have to worry about because he knew who he was. Remember, we talked about it. He was omniscient. He, he knew who he was. He knew his purpose. He knew his position. He knew his place. He knew all of those things because God the Father had given it to him, right? He knew these things. And for many of us, we spend our life searching for who we are instead of looking to God's word and knowing who we are. And when we know who we are in Christ, it relieves so much of the stress and anxiety that keeps us self-centered and allows us to serve others. You see, when we believe in Christ, we come to Christ, we have a new identity. He calls us sons and daughters. He calls us blameless. He calls us holy. He calls us more than conquerors. He calls us co-heirs with him. He gives us all the confidence in the world, but not in ourselves, in him. And so when we know who we are in Christ, because his word has told us who we are in him, we can then humbly serve others, not caring if they think more or less of us, because we know who we are in Christ. We need to be confident in who Christ has called us to be. Now, for, for many of us, we even hear that and we're like, okay, this is good. Maybe I should serve in this way and maybe those are some reasons that I'm not serving but it is so easy for us to have good intentions and then do nothing with them it is so easy for us to hear a sermon or to see an act like this that Christ did and then do nothing with it that's why Jesus said again in verse 17 blessed are you if you do them he's basically repeating himself he's like hey I've given you this example you should do it and then he, again, he says, hey, you're blessed if you do it, right? That's what he tells them. You've got to do something with this because what Jesus know, knows, we know that intentions in the kingdom are worthless. <laughs> you know, some of us say, well, I guess maybe I should serve my spouse. Maybe I should serve my neighbors or maybe I should serve within the church. And then we just stop with our good intentions. But intentions are worthless 
We know this to be true. I mean, do any of us have unused gym memberships? Like, you can have the best of intentions, but having a gym membership does not make you fit, right? Nobody in the history of the world has said, man, dude, where, you look so fit. Where are you working out? Well, I'm working out of this, or I've got a, I got a membership to this gym. Really? So you work out of that gym? No, 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 no. I said I have a membership to that gym, right? Like, nobody got fit by having a membership, having good intentions, right? Jesus here is like, don't stop at good intentions. Reflect me as I have served you. And this is what's beautiful about this. He says, blessed are you if you do them. Now, the blessing does not come after you serve others. The blessing comes through serving others. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so we don't serve others saying, well, one day this karma is going to come back to me. No. We serve because Christ has already served us. We serve others and we find blessing in the giving, in the serving. And our goal of discipleship is that we would reflect Christ. He's not getting anything back from his disciples. He's serving them. And there's blessing that comes with that. I mean, there was a time that I, I really thought, I really thought that the, the greatest gifts of God were shelves stacked one above the other. And the farther I move up in life, the greater the blessings I would find from God. But the longer I live life and the more pages of Scripture that I read and think about, I realize that the greatest gifts of God are at the bottom shelves. The greatest gifts are for, there for those who would wouldn't stoop down humbly and serve others and serve Christ. That's where the greatest blessings are found. That's where the greatest gifts of God are found. And Jesus knew that. That's why in spite of who he was and who he is, he humbly serves them. He humbly serves them. Second thing we have to see about the way Christ serves today is that Christ serves in spite of what he's facing. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just serve in spite of who he is. He's serving in spite of who he's facing. Verse 21, it says he's troubled in spirit. We talked about this last week that this language of troubled in spirit now has been used multiple times from Jesus. That he has a burden on his heart and on his spirit and on his life because he knows that he's going to go to the cross and bear the sin and the shame of the, the, the transgressions of the world on his shoulders. He knows that. And so there's a weightiness on his heart and his life. Yet in spite of what he's facing, in spite of knowing that he's going to go to the cross and die one of the gruesome deaths of history, what is he thinking about? He's thinking about you. He's thinking about me. That's what he's thinking about in this moment. He's serving the disciples and he's giving them an example. And he's calling them to model this example. He has such a heart of love for us that it, it allows him to endure even in the face of suffering. And he serves. He serves. And it wasn't just that his spirit was troubled because he's going to the cross. We find out in 21 as well that he's going to be betrayed. Like it's so much on his spirit that it comes out of his mouth. And he says that one of you is going to betray me. You see... Jesus wasn't just going to give his life for those that loved him and cared for him, but those who were going to betray him and abandon him and leave him. 
I mean, have you ever been betrayed by somebody before? I mean, a spouse or a boss or a friend? I mean, do you know what that feels like? How that troubles your spirit knowing, right? And if you knew somebody was going to betray you beforehand, somebody's going to stab you in the back, how would you respond? You would either pull back completely from them, right? And be like, dude, I, I'm cutting them off. They're going to betray me. I'm done. I'm not going to do anything for them. Or you retaliate, right? You know that this is coming, so I'm just going to go ahead and attack them because they're going to attack me. Jesus knows that Drew, Judas is going to betray him. He knows it. But he does not pull back. He does not retaliate in this moment. Jesus leans in to serve them. He doesn't just wash Judas's feet. He actually gives him something to eat, right? The application I would have for us as a church is, church, let us, even in the face of our difficulties and obstacles, serve. I truly believe, truly believe that there's a greater healing found through serving others in our obstacles and in our pain than in our self-pity. We will find a greater healing in, in serving others than sitting in our self-pity. I believe that. Jesus in this moment could have just sat and sulked in his self-pity. He could have. I'm going to die for all of your sins, none of mine. Can't believe you guys did this. Like Jesus could have done that in that moment, but he didn't. His humble heart, his heart of love knows that the greater thing in this moment is found in serving, not sitting in self-pity. So I would just encourage you to do the same, that we would serve in the midst of our obstacles and difficulties. And there's a very real thing right now within church. Maybe you haven't been betrayed by, by a person or an individual. Maybe you feel betrayed by a church. And you have church hurt. That's becoming a popular term, church hurt right now. And you're like, the church betrayed me? Man, I, I'm not going to serve the church. I'm not going to serve anybody else. And you become bitter and angry at the church as opposed to looking at the obstacles and serving. I would just encourage you, take that step forward to reflect Christ, the one who he knew would betray him. He still served. And I would say to those who have taken that step, that difficult, hard step of faith to serve when you've been hurt by a church and burnt by a church, I just would encourage you to continue to do that. You're reflecting Christ well in that moment. Christ, knowing he was going to be betrayed, still served. And so as you have served, and it might be the greatest self-sacrifice of worship you ever give, would you do that as unto him? Would you serve him in that way? This is what Christ has done for us. May we follow his example. May we reflect Christ. Lastly, before we take the Lord's Supper, I want us to see that Christ served in spite of who he was serving. Christ served in spite of who he was serving. Who is Jesus serving in this moment? Who is he feeding? Who is he washing feet? The disciples, right? Yes, that's right. All of the disciples. Even in spite of their faults and their failures, he's washing their feet. It does not say in this text, Jesus washed the feet of 10 disciples or 11 disciples. Doesn't say that. He washed the feet of all the disciples. He washed the feet of the betrayer, Judas. He washed the feet of the denier, Peter. He washed the feet of the rest of them who would forsake him and leave him. He washed their feet. Let that settle in for a minute here. 
We would look at this moment, we would look at this moment of what's happening with our knowledge, and we would say, if we were in that moment, Jesus, don't do this. Don't do it. Don't wash his feet. He's going to stab you in the back just here in a second. No, 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 no. Peter, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's already shown that he's ignorant. Jesus, don't, 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 don't wash his feet. He's going to deny you. Not once, not twice, three times. He's going to deny you. Jesus, don't wash his feet. Don't do it. And the rest of these people, they're going to all leave you. They're going to flee. They're going to run away. And if we were there, and, in, and if we said that, I believe that Jesus' response would be like, I know. I know. I know all those things. And I'm still choosing to serve them. Still choosing to wash their feet. I mean, I try to put myself in that moment and just imagine that. Just think about that for a minute. The humility and love of Christ. To kneel down at Judas' feet and to hold this man's feet and to wash his feet. Look up and look in his eyes and know that in a couple hours he's going to betray him. I can't imagine what Judas feels in that moment knowing that he's going to betray him, right? And Christ still kneels down and washes his feet. As he moved to Peter and he washed Peter's feet. Jesus tells him, it says in the other Gospels, Peter, you're going to deny me. Jesus knew it. And Peter's like, no way. Everybody else, all the other disciples, they'll deny you, but, but not me. I'll never do that. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to do it not once, not twice, but three times. And he even still kneels down and washes Peter's feet. Now, we can say what we want to about Peter denying Christ, but I mean, even in the fact where Jesus gets arrested, Peter stays closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples did, right? And the rest of the disciples literally run away. They run away when Jesus is arrested. Once again, think about this. Jesus knows this. He kneels down and he's washing the feet that would soon flee from him. The very feet who would run away when Jesus is arrested, he's now washing and cleansing them. This is the beauty of our Savior. But it's not in the past tense only. Jesus still loves and still serves those who are betraying him. Many of us have betrayed Jesus with the kiss of greed, just like Judas did. We love our money more than we love Christ, and Jesus is like, I'm here. I'm still loving you. If you repent of your sin, I will, I will cleanse you. I will forgive your sins. He's still looking at the betrayer and saying, come to me. I will serve you. He's still looking at those that would deny him. Those that maybe have denied that they knew Jesus to a friend or to a coworker. He's like, hey, come to me. Come to me. You may have denied me, but I'm faithful to forgive you. Come and find forgiveness. For those of us that said, we're denying your power and your provision in our lives, and we're going to choose to worship the, the, the idol of worry. And we do that, Jesus still looks at us and is like, no, that, that idol of worry is just going to devour your heart and your soul. Come to me. Come to me, you who would deny me, and I'll still receive you if you repent. He's even pursuing those who would forsake him, who would forsake him for that, that sin, that, that morsel that doesn't fill up or doesn't last. He would say, come to me. Come to me and believe. This is what Jesus wants in this moment for us to believe. And please hear this. This is important for this passage. The goal of this passage is not for us to walk away today and say, man, I really admire Jesus for serving people. And that's so great. Jesus is looking for far, far, far more than your admiration. Jesus is looking for your belief in this moment. He's looking for you to look to him and say that he is Lord 
And so the final application I have is that you would believe today. Would you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord? And if you grew up in church and you've been around church for a long time, do not let this application gloss over you. Do not look and be like, man, I've been in church the whole life. Like, I know the whole thing. Like, it's fine. So did Judas. Judas had better training than you have or I had because he went to the school of Jesus. Every, every sermon that he heard for three years was from Jesus. He saw Jesus literally preach the Sermon on the Mount. He saw it. He heard it. He saw him feed 5,000 people. Judas saw Jesus water ski without a boat. He saw this. He saw Jesus heal people without a scalpel or without medicine. He saw all of this, and yet he did not believe in Jesus as Lord. You might say, well, Ryan, how do you know he didn't do that? Well, the Gospel of Matthew tells us. Matthew 26. This is the same moment in time, and the disciples are debating after Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. You see the verse on the screen if you want to read it. But in this moment, the argue, they start arguing with one another or, or discussing with one another. Man, Jesus, is, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord, that's going to betray you? And all the disciples say that. Is it I, Lord? Then you look a few verses later and Judas finally speaks up. And this is what he says. Is it I, Rabbi? He doesn't say what the other disciples say. He's not saying, is it me, Lord? In this moment, he's like, hey, that Rabbi, that means teacher. Hey, Jesus, is it me, teacher? Is it me, good moral person? See, he does not believe that Jesus is Lord. He's, a, he's, he's just a good teacher. So may we not look at this application, this challenge to believe and say, well, that's for everybody else. Even if we grew up in the church, we need to know why we are believers. And it's because of the death and the resurrection of Christ. That and that alone is what saves us. And so what we can do is we can look at Judas in this moment very religiously or very repentantly. We can look religiously and say, thank you, God, that I am not like Judas. Man, I'm just thankful I'm not like him. That's a religious person talking. Or we can look at Judas repentantly and say, God, I am prone to follow his example and to betray you and to forsake you. I do the exact same thing. And so I would challenge you to believe this morning. If you've never trusted in Christ and know him as Lord, that you will believe and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, I'm going to give you a time. I'm going to give you a chance to pray and receive Christ, right? Allow him to receive you. But at the same time, if you're a believer, I want you to use this point, this moment of time, to confess your sin to him. So we're, we're all acting right now. We're all taking that step of faith to believe in him because the gospel demands a response in this moment. And so may we look and believe in Jesus for the first time. And if you're like, I don't know how to do that, what that looks like, how can I believe in Jesus? Make it as simple as possible. On the screen, you'll see a prayer. And let me just say this. It's not a prayer that saves you. Only Jesus and Jesus alone can save you. Only him. So it's not some magical words that you sprinkle on your life and now you're good and you're, you're set and ready to go. No, but it is a confession from your heart that you believe in Jesus. And so if you can pray this prayer this morning from your heart to him, he will save and rescue you. So pray something like this. Lord, I admit 
that I have sinned against you and I need you to save me. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to forgive me and remove my sins. I confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior today. In this moment of silence, I'm about to give you pray that prayer and know that nobody else can make this decision for you. It doesn't come from mom and dad. This is a decision you have to make. It is a personal decision to love and follow Christ, but it's not meant to be private. The world will tell you, pray that prayer and don't tell anybody else about it. Jesus would say, tell the world about it. So if you pray that prayer this morning, what I'd say is right after service, go in boldness back to next steps or come talk to me after service. But we'll have people at Next Steps, volunteers that would love to tell you what your next step of faith is, how you follow Christ, and what it looks like to be a disciple of his. Now for the rest of us who do know Jesus as Lord, then use this moment of silence to confess your sin before him. This moment of cleansing that Jesus does, he cleanses their feet, but ultimately what we needed was our soul cleansed of our sin. And that's what Jesus is offering in this moment. So as we come now to take the Lord's Supper. This is what Jesus did in the moment. He went to his disciples and he gave them bread and he gave them that cup. He said, this is my body. This is a picture of my blood that will be shed for you. So as we confess sins, we get to look at this as as the assurance of our pardon that we are forgiven because Christ died in our place for our sins. So confess him as Lord and confess your sin to him now. Let's pray.